0: Welcome to the Ape Talks. As always, this is your host, Mr. Rape, and I hope you enjoy the sixth installment of me talking to myself. In the art of Japanese swordsmithing, where they make such blades as the katana, which is very iconic, the blacksmith needs to know the right balance of everything he's working with, because he's playing with chemistry and physics and many other sciences when he forges this blade. And the key to making a great katana is not just to make a strong blade, but also a quite malleable blade, one that won't break on impact. Because what shatters something is its lack of flexibility. The way they make tamahagane katanas, tamahagane, the reason that they use tamahagane is because they don't have pure steel in Japan. So they have to use this giant oven forge that made out of clay that it takes days of 24-7 watching it and they break it and they take all the metal out they take a few handfuls that are good enough to send to these blacksmiths around japan what they do with these pieces of uh, metal is they selectively pick a few ones that they can make an actual sword out of and as they start creating these slides of metal they start piecing them together in a little mountainous small shape on the floor and they say this is going to be the middle of the blade this is going to be the tip of the blade and they kind of pick all the weak things out and kind of balance it out equally. And then when they forge the blade, because tamahagane is not a pure steel, what they do is they have to fold it. They have to fold this metal onto itself. And this is the big misconception I had was the reason they would do it is because it would make it stronger. The reason they fold tamahagane is because they want to get out all the impurities of this metal, because tamahagane is not pure. For a right amount, exact right amount of times, depending on the metal they got from the batch that was made, the, the forger, the blacksmith, from experience knows exactly how many times to fold it. Because if he folds it too little, he doesn't get enough impurities out. And if, if he folds it too much, the metal gets weaker. And later on in that process, what they do is, after they forge the blade, sometimes in the base of the blade, the center of the blade, what they do is they put a, a more malleable metal. And in the surface of the katana, of the blade of the katana, they use a very hard, kind of metal. And the reason they do that is, so it can, it won't shatter when it meets a very, very sharp force. It won't break in half, because it needs that malleability, it needs that flexibility. And if anybody's interested in learning more about this topic of Japanese warfare and blades and uh, swordsmanship especially, there's a very, very famous book that's really short that you can listen to on YouTube for an hour and a half called The Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto Musashi. I think that's that's his name. And basically, anybody who doesn't know who Miyamoto Musashi is, he's arguably the best swordsman that has ever lived in Japan. And he's famous for surviving over 66 or 67 duels to the death with a katana. And he wrote a little book, you know, a couple hundred years ago, about how he survived. It's like The Art of War by, I forget the name of the... Chinese dude wrote that book, but it's more about, you know, how to handle a blade, and just like The Art of War, that book, you can apply a lot of these principles to anything, to any, that's why there's a bunch of books called The Art of, etc. But basically, my point is, flexibility is such an important and vital ability we require in order to survive and adapt, because if we don't know how to be flexible and malleable to our own environment, we break. When you watch a squirrel jump and fly and gently land onto the grass and you admire the power of its flexibility and its gravity you can't help but be in awe of its beauty that's why we admire gymnastics things would be extremely boring and grey and uh, very linear what makes a jellyfish so beautiful, dangerous as well is its ability to flex itself around fishes and tangle them up with its tentacles and uh, these long, electric, thin, gentle, flexible wires that just wrap around their prey. There's something very beautiful about the scariest things in this world, and I believe a lot of that beauty is related to flexibility. Even mountains, as rough as rocks are, eventually with time they change their position. They've changed their location. Entire continents have shifted in the course of millions and billions of years to where they were. The entire land on Earth was once all connected in the center around where Africa is now. And slowly we have all broken up from Africa. All these big giant pieces of land and through the way everything flexes and the way gravity has a pull on things, we've all resided to where we are now. We are where we are today because of flexibility, because of our ability to adapt and the necessity to change. We all come from the sea. All life originally has come from water. And we left the sea. We've learned to adapt without breathing the air in the water, to breathing the air on the surface. And we've learned how to move in this new environment. We've learned how to deal with the resistance, the difficulty, the new resistance of gravity on land versus the gravity in the sea. And if we weren't mentally flexible enough, if that first mammal or creature, whatever it was, wasn't strong enough to leave the ocean, none of us would be here. We'd still all be living in the sea. And there's something really to admire about that. And that's why I think flexibility is so important. And we should never forget that we've been using flexibility for millions and billions of years as life. Life has always been flexible. And I believe it always needs to continue to do so. We get shattered and we're just we're just broken. But if we know how to bend, some people have a negative view of the word bend, bending to someone's will or something like that. People look at the word as a bend, as a weakness, as a weak thing. In reality, everything needs to know how to bend to a certain degree. A snake needs to know how to bend its body to wrap around the tree as it climbs upwards in a circular formation. An animal needs to know how to bend its mouth and tongue and teeth when it's digesting food, it's beginning the digestive process in the mouth. And our minds need to know how to bend. Because sometimes, because of our ego, because of our shame, because of our honor, we don't like the idea of admitting we are wrong. And we will keep fighting for a cause that we know is wrong, or an idea we have that we realized was wrong a week ago, but because we've told everyone we believe in this, we're too embarrassed to let anyone know how we really feel now. Because some people may accuse us of not sticking to our values and all that. But in reality, you know what? It's an amazing thing to admit you're wrong or to admit that you've learned something new. It shows that you are open-minded enough to be swayed to different people's ideas. Uh, That's a great thing and it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's nothing to worry about your honor. You should not worry about being embarrassed from admitting you are wrong about something. I love admitting when I'm wrong to people. Even if I wasn't wrong, I still like to pretend I was wrong about something occasionally, just to make the point to people, to allow them to perceive me as somewhat flexible as a person, and someone who is kind of easy to talk to. Because when you're very stern and you're very aggressive, some people might be okay with you, but other people who also are very stern and aggressive in certain topics and values and ideas and personalities and beliefs they have, when they meet you, too strong blades that don't have malleability will both break, right? Uh, The one that has a little bit more flexibility will at least survive, and the other blade will break, from what we've learned of our short little lesson on blacksmithing. In my life, personally, I've been broken by many things, by institutions, by the military, by education, by people, and, of course, by the most famous one. And everyone has been broken by this to some degree. Love. We've all been heartbroken. Love is difficult. There's always a challenge. It's not a straight line. It's a squiggly line. Love movies wouldn't be as great as they would if there wasn't that difficulty preventing the love from happening. There wasn't a family that didn't want you to have this love or there was this person who was trying to get away. There was this person that was trying to get in between your love or whatever. Without that element, without that flexibility, that distortion of the easiness of life. Things would be extremely boring and gray and uh, very linear. <laughs> and uh, love is a very, very interesting heart kind of break. Hard, It's a hard break, and it's a heartbreak. Because unlike a friendship, is a different kind of love. A really good friendship, there's always that level of, we're able to mend it again. But a broken heart is much difficult to mend much more difficult, I believe, than a friendship. There's a a certain openness and relaxation when you two are very closest friends. And there's a certain intimacy between two lovers. It's like glass. It's not like, like tamahagane. And unfortunately, with love, it's not just that it breaks like glass. It doesn't just break in half. It shatters into a million pieces. It shatters your heart into so many small pieces. And we're bound to feel depressed. We're bound to feel sad. Just like a, how a rubber band is flexible and bound to fly off when you shoot it. That, that is exactly what happens to all our hopes and dreams, as they fly away when that thing is broken. And to me, I've always been highly devastated. And I've been getting better uh, with, with, with dealing with breakups and stuff. Even though when I thought I was de- doing better, there, was, there were still those really intense relationships I had with people I really loved from my heart in an intimate way, where I thought I was at a mature point in my life, but the love was so strong and it was bro- when it was broken, it broke me. And uh, I realized, I, maybe I'm not as flexible as I wanted to be, but there will always be things we are weak at, there will always be things we cannot control. We will always lose to some degree, we will always get hurt. And we will always get hit in the face and we'll get called things we don't want to get called. And, but the whole point is to learn how to accept all these things. To consider the better things we can do, to have those things happen to us less. But appreciate them when they happen to us because they make us stronger. They test our, our blades. They test if we're really going to shatter. And then we can take these broken pieces of metal back to the forge. And add more flexible material to it and become a more flexible minded being. So anyway, back to the embarrassing story I wanted to share about heartbreak. There once was this uh, girl that I really used to like. I'll tell you one of the first loves of my life. And it was a girl, let's just call her Messy. <laughs> and Messy was this girl I'm, I knew in third grade. And we'd take the bus to school together in the morning, and we take the bus on the way home from school. In the morning, I really wouldn't sit with her. I would sit with a bunch of guys, and we'd play PSP. We'd play on LAN on PSP in the bus. We'd play... Battlefront 2 and we used to have a lot of fun with that but on the way back I would sit next to Messi and the way I would convince Messi to sit next to me you know what I think my father thought it would be funny to play this game with me when he told me you know how you want to make friends in life you just give them money and I think he was playing a prank on me for a while so he would tell me next time you go play with, go, go play tag with people at school give everyone who plays tag with you like a dollar So so whenever I'd play tag with people in the recess, I'd give everyone a dollar. (laughs) The the recess teacher would come up to me and say, what are you doing? Why are you giving these? Why are you a pimp? Why are you distributing money amongst your peers? You know, and I wasn't, I got in trouble so many times. So what I would do is I'd buy her chips from the cafeteria before we'd get on the bus. I'd always buy her Pringles, which were like five bucks. And I know now that this is silly and this is not how you, if anything, this is how you damage relationships. There are certain relationships that are monetary based, but a truly intimate relationship has to be a bit more than that. But anyway, this is what I this is what I knew, and because <laughs> my dad was messing with me at this age, so back to Messi. Uh, she was this blonde, beautiful blonde little girl, who was my age, and I was I really felt for her. And I think she was my first love, and I would give her the Pringles, and she would sit next to me, and she was my friend, quote unquote. And uh, it was pretty funny because we'd sit together and she had this other friend who would always ask, hey, can I be your friend too? Not because she liked me, but because she wanted Pringles. So I tell her, hell no. So get away. <laughs> That's what I would tell a friend uh, on the bus. And we would talk and we would point at things out the window and we'd play these little games children play on the bus. And we'd laugh and smile and we'd get along. It was a monetary-based relationship, but it was still a relationship nonetheless. And it was a very funny one. And uh, I had to move back and forth to different countries. I was in another country and a war started in that country. And I I moved back to Switzerland. And I was studying in university at the time. And I was sitting in the train on my way back from class, I think, on my way home. And I remember there was this girl who looked very familiar right in front of me, sitting on on the area to my right. Not directly in front of me, but she was sitting opposite of me on the... Right side of the train. I was on the left side of the little cabin place where people sit, and I just looked across at her and I I just said, Messy? is that you?" And she looked at me and she her eyes grew wide, and looked at me and she said, "Who are you?" And I, I started smiling, and she looked so much different than I remembered. She was a bit more tan. I guess she you know was always out in the sun. She seemed to not be as uh, As the way I idolized her in my mind. She seemed to be so different. I told her, don't you remember? It's me. You know, I used to buy you Pringles. We'd take the bus together in third grade. And she looked at me in a funny way. And she said, oh yeah, that kind of does sound a little familiar. She said my name and I said, yes, exactly. And she kind of smiled a little bit and I said, hey, I I would love to, you know, hang out sometime. I mean, I haven't seen you in such a What a weird coincidence it is to run into each other. And she looked at me in a certain way and she said, I have a boyfriend. You know, she gave me like this dry uh, attitude. And my intentions were just to get to know her at that point, just to catch up with her. But her defensive way of responding kind of made me feel sad she was that defensive about someone she knew from such a long time ago that she wouldn't see it as wow this is just a person I would love to catch up with and i was a bit sad i was a bit broken inside a little piece of glass in my heart shattered when i when i saw this defensiveness not that she had a boyfriend i understand people you know move on with their lives but her attitude her eyes her defensiveness you could feel it and uh, you know what I I gave her my phone, she added herself and I said alright and I got up and I walked and sat down in another cabin of the train and I just felt kinda of sad that this person that I, I, I idolized so much and was always my first love was just like this, was just this she didn't look at it the same way I did, she didn't feel the same way about what happened and that's because it was a monetary based relationship, it wasn't a true, emotional, loving relationship. It wasn't two-sided, right? It was only coming from me. And right now I'm, I'm laughing at that, but at the time it really hurt me. And it kind of broke me a little bit, and I was kind of feeling low for a few days, even a week almost, having difficulty, like feeling happy, remembering what had happened to me that day. And eventually I messaged her, and she was very dry, and she never responded. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it and I decided you know what I wasn't gonna focus on it too much and that's how I kinda took these broken pieces of, of material whether it's glass, whether it's metal whatever breaks, if it's love it's glass, if it's spirit, it's metal it's tamahagane and you take these pieces and you take them back to the forge and you mend them again and you add something more malleable into the formula into that chemistry of your heart so the next time that happens you're more resistant And this was the smallest, uh, by the way, uh, time my heart was broken. I've had times where a girl was truly very special to me. And because I had to leave the country, uh, because I was moving away, uh, relationships had to end, and it truly, truly shattered me. Those times I was depressed for weeks, almost a month. There was a time I was depressed over a girl. I've done so many embarrassing things in my life, out of love, and a little bit of alcohol mixed in with that. And I think that's normal. And it's, it's important to talk about that, and, and not to be ashamed of it, to look at it as something natural that happens in life. We all do embarrass, embarrassing things. And how we walk away from that is what's important. Do we walk away for, from that forever, feeling vulnerable and creating these vulnerabilities like we discussed in episode three? Or do we accept and process these things that happen to us and smile and look back at them in a fond, silly way that was just part of life. And that's just a beautiful scene from my movie. But it's not just about love. It's not just about the glass that breaks. It's also about the metal. The metal, I argue, is is more important. Love will always shatter you sometimes, even no matter how many different elements you add to your chemistry of glass, the, the formula that you have of glass in your heart. It is always glass, and glass will always break if it's dropped high enough, right? No matter how big the love is, if the love is strong enough, it, No matter how resistant your glass is, it won't bounce off the ground, it'll shatter. What won't, what you can really control, is your metal, your mind. And uh, that takes another level. And that's the level we can work on and improve the most, I think. That's the area we can really play with with the chemistry. That's the area we can really take to the forge and work with the blacksmith. And really mend out a great sword. And how do we do that, exactly? One word, flexibility. So let me tell you how these different uh, flexibilities of the mind are applicable in real-world situations, unlike love and heartbreak. It's about, let's say, relationships with people, right? We all have certain relationships with people we have to deal with. If you've ever been in school or the military or any kind of place where you have to learn how to get along with each other, or like, a, like a cubicle office building, where you have to learn how to get along with each other and you can't say any bad words to each other because being in the human resources department, which is the equivalent of principal in the principal's office in high school, you know, so you have to know how to accept, swallow your pride, and understand the people around you according to what you want. If you want this person to be nice to you, let's say that you're dealing with a narcissistic person, a very arrogant person who is never wrong. You don't want to manipulate this person necessarily, but if you don't want this person to turn their fire onto you, you always have to massage this person's ego. You always have to praise them for things that you would think would sound so obviously silly. You have to know how to be very gentle to these very powerful creatures because if you're not gentle enough, then their fire will come at you. And if you ever argue with these people, if you ever... are so passionate about what you're discussing even though it's clearly true and you're right and you decide to to go into that game with them if you're dealing with someone who doesn't understand how to accept that they are wrong which there are a lot of these people and this happens as they grow up because their parents always wanted to spoil them and always wanted to make sure that you know what they had to be first they had to get the most time uh, in the playground they had to get the most attention from the teacher in the classroom they had to get the most uh, people come to, to come to their birthday party out of all the kids they had to have the most impressive whatever this is an easy way to develop a narcissist children are never born as narcissists so they are developed through life experience and through the way they are raised and through the way people allow them to behave when we have to be with people we don't like and we have to learn how to be flexible around these people or we have to survive in new environments that we didn't know how to survive in and that's really an art it's, it's the forgery of the mind, truly. It's implanting flexible chemistry into the brain. And that takes skill, time, and experience and courage, and the ability to accept being wrong. Because it's not just difficult people. Sometimes it's difficult environments. If you've ever been to a really rough place in the world, there are certain pockets all over the world that are rough. You've seen, you've, you've received this shock, this, what is this? And you begin to realize something very interesting, is that we are all animals. Everybody is an animal. As much as we like to look at ourselves as civilized humans, we are still apes. Our root is an ape. We have to respect this. We live in a jungle, a giant jungle, a ball that's a jungle. The Different parts, some are, some are forests, some are deserts, but overall a giant animal kingdom. And each territory has their own lion or uh, giant gorilla that rules it and there's always that one person who lives on top of that tree that holds all the bananas and uh, slowly the other apes are climbing the tree attempting to steal all the bananas and rip him to pieces like what they did to Gaddafi essentially we have to know how how to survive in the animal kingdom that we live in because as much as we like to look at this world as civilized if you push anyone far enough no government no law no police can protect you from what this person will do to you and some people forget that they live in an animal kingdom and they think they can do whatever they want to certain people and they can push and abuse the system and uh, really really harm other people in certain ways and take advantage of certain systems for their own benefit and some people some of these people they get away and they enjoy all their bananas on top of their tree branch others what happens to them is what happened to Gaddafi. and if anyone who doesn't know who Gaddafi is feel free to google him and, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty brutal. It's a, it's a violent, vicious world. And it's the hungry people that dictate what happens in this world. It's not the powerful people. You know, you realize that when people are hungry and desperate enough, anything can happen, anything can change, and we need to know how to be ready, and we need to know how to be flexible in all kinds of situations like this. Whether if we're moving to a new country, whether if the, the jungle we live in is turning into a giant war, Uh, of uh, groups of animals, fighting other groups of animals. And we have to protect this animal and the the animals we love. And that's an art that requires a certain amount of mental flexibility and acceptance and and humility. You have to know what's important to save and what's not, and what, what you need to carry and what you don't, and all these little things. And that's just an extreme example, right? There is a bunch of other simple things we need to know. Sometimes when we're talking to a professor or an educator, someone who is our master in something, we have to be flexible enough to shut up and let the professor say something wrong. In the West, there's this whole concept of you always have to correct the professor, whereas in the East, there's this very, very important concept of respect and honor and not disturbing someone's face, not to let anyone lose face, at least not publicly. It's very disrespectful to do that. So even if a teacher is saying something wrong, all well, the students in, the, in Asian schools will be very quiet. I remember I, I was shocked when I was studying in Thailand at how submissive the students are to the professor. This is where the idea of bending has a negative connotation, surrendering, accepting. And people sometimes they have too much honor and they rather have their heads fly off like Mary Antoinette than bend the knee. Which is crazy, I mean, it's just... How many times do you bend the knee when you walk? You know, or when you jump, or when you sit down and sit up? It's just, it means nothing. The idea of being so... Such a strong blade that is just pure, pure, unmalleable material and unflexible material, the slightest rock will shatter it in half, at the, in the right position, where it's perfectly vulnerable. And if you can't bend, if you can't ever bend your head to anyone you really have a serious problem with your ego. You really always have to be willing to realize that you are wrong in any situation. One of the things I love about Thailand is the way people interact with each other. Unlike Vietnam, Vietnam is a very loud, uh, rowdy place where people yell at each other from across the street. People are busy, people are very direct in Vietnam. In Thailand, people are very gentle. People are very polite. When anybody walks by you, they lower their head as a sign of respect. It's just their way of showing humility and respect towards every being around them. Another very beautiful thing about Thailand is it is the most accepting place in the world that I've ever lived in. So much so that I was so curious because there's this very big stereotype associated with Thailand. And I don't even have to say what it is. You already know. You've already guessed it by now. But why are there so many ladyboys in Thailand? That's what they're called there. And that's what they call themselves. As a guy, they're very friendly to you, they're always complimenting you. As a girl, they're also the girls like gay guys, so they get along well, most of the time. And they're, they're very fr- friendly and fun people to have. To me, when I first saw these ladyboys, I just thought it was just a cliche, it was just something rare. But then the more I lived in Thailand, the more I saw it more, such a more common thing. And I became fascinated, why is it so common? You know, you don't see this much, even in Europe, you don't see this much people being this open about their sexuality. So I, I, became, I began to be so curious that I started asking people, why, why are there so many ladyboys? And they would ask me, why are you so fascinated? <laughs> and I would tell them, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I'm just honestly curious. And they would tell me, okay, sure. And anyway, after playing all these silly games with friends who would tease me about why I was so fascinated about this topic, I finally understood, not because anyone gave me the answer, but from, under, from understanding the way the culture is in Thailand, What's so beautiful about it is, in Thailand, no one cares about anybody else but themselves. No one cares to embarrass you. No one cares to shame you. Everyone just minds their own business and is very polite, very humble, and very accepting of what other people say towards them and vice versa. So people don't really give a fuck. That's what's so beautiful. But what's certainly very interesting about Thailand is the whole idea of being so flexible, almost too flexible, but in, in such a beautiful way. But Thai people are still very strong people. And for something important, as, as gentle and as kind they seem, they are very strong people. And you, you learn the lesson by going to a bar street and seeing what happens to these strong foreigners who, who think you know, they rule the world in whatever country they go to. You always see these Westerners. When you go to Nepal and you see these people who pay hun- $100,000 to hire these Sherpas and the company agency that hires these Sherpas only give them $5,000 to risk their life. There's a great documentary that came out in 2015 called Sherpa. Life is hard. And um, that's a Nepali saying a friend to Tom, yeah. Anyway the documentary is really interesting because it highlights how these sherpas don't just carry all the weight up the mountain and do all the hard work for these foreigners to go up and claim and when they get back home into their developed countries and say you know I climbed mount everest when basically they did it on the backs of these sherpas at the same time these sherpas risk their lives doing the most dangerous part of the mountain climbing the most dangerous part and in that documentary sherpa 2015 around 15 around around 15 sherpas die by coincidence, while they were filming the documentary, because they were climbing the roughest part, transporting oxygen for the westerners who were going to climb the next day, and it goes to show you, it's crazy. And not just that, they would they wouldn't just do all the hard work, but they would also be their servants. These Sherpas would serve them tea and coffee in the morning. Good morning, sir. Hello. Would you? Would you like coffee or tea? And they were. They, it was just so disturbing to me to watch this documentary I understand the sherpas they need to do it to make the money but and uh, the the main problem here is not the Westerners were coming to do this sure some of them could be more respectful to, towards the sherpas but at the same time the main problem was the Nepalese government for not not being generous enough to pay the sherpas enough because they basically control how this economy works and I don't want to go into detail here but Basically, the, the way it works is they take one-third of all the all the money they, they make from tourism on the Everest mountain, and uh, the the agency that runs the whole uh, trip and the climbing makes about two-thirds, and it's their job to make profit. So they can only pay the Sherpas a certain amount, because they have to give one-third to the government, and they have a bunch of different expenses for the, um, for the climb. And it's not just that. The reason I didn't like the guy from the documentary who ran the whole... Or tourism organization there of the Sherpas whenever the Westerners would get out of line he'd always side with the Westerners more to the client the customers always right mentality not because he was biased he was a very open-minded person very open open open-minded to the Nepalese culture but what what I didn't like about him is he was more of a business oriented person an overly uh, fixated person with business where it was more of a priority to him to disrespect the culture in order to to keep making money. And I understand that some people are business oriented and people who are extremely narcissistic and business oriented are the people who make it to the top. That's why we have a lot of evil people out there who run the world. Because if you wanna get to the top, you won't get there by being kind, unfortunately, because this is the system we have developed for the world. And maybe we need to find a new system one day. We need to figure out a new formula that we can test it on small scale and then if it works we can start sharing it to the rest of the world so we just have nice people that run the world so nicer things happen and less bad things take place because there are some things you cannot train you cannot after a certain point in time the metal in your brain becomes so forged and so stuck in its weight it can't be it can't be smelted back into a malleable material where you can play with its chemistry and mix it with a more flexible material and then Forge it back into something you want. After a certain point in time, like the bone, how I said the mental bone is magical, the forging bone, the metal in the the mind, uh, is also magical. You can't smelt it after a certain point. It gets so hard and it gets so embedded, you can't extract, smelt, and reforge. So some people out there are very stern people, very unwilling to bend people. Unfortunately, the reality is those people succeed. As much as I want, I want to say, oh, no, you shouldn't be like those people. If you have a certain objective, I understand why you need to be this way. And I'm sympathetic. I always try and be empathetic to every person in every circumstance. From, most, from the people who've hurt the most people in this world to the people who've helped the most people in this world. And I think it's important for everyone to do that as, a, as just a general practice. So it becomes integrated part when you when you meet people, you don't you don't instantly judge them, at least not so negatively. The idea of some people who claim to say, "Oh, I don't see color," those people infuriate me. It's not it's not that you pretend not to see color; it's that how you react to color. A very very famous example. We've talked about the best uh, swordsman in the world in Japan, Yamato Musashi. Now let me tell you about the best flexible person, in my opinion, that I know that has ever lived that I've heard of. In, learned about a man called Daryl Davis a very interesting man indeed a truly flexible being who is remarkable and is a person we should all aspire to be like this man this man is very famous he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast he he's, has a TED talk and he's a very famous jazz musician but the reason he's famous is not because of his music it's because of his actions and his flexibility and his open-mindedness Daryl Davis is a black man Grew up uh, in in the time where met America it was still a very very difficult thing to be black in America, and it's, even though it still is now, it was another it was another level of difficulty around 50 years ago, and he didn't even know what racism is. The way he learned about racism was as he was coming back from uh, school, he noticed he or he was going to a new school, people started throwing rocks at him, and he didn't know why, and then he realized because you know he was black. He didn't, he didn't understand this when his father tried to explain it to him because he was such a Thai-minded person, like the Thais his mind was, super malleable and flexible and open. So his him and his beautiful mind eventually with changing other people's minds, very, very stern minds, even though I said certain, ment- certain metals can't be re- re-smelted in the mind because there's this magic, Daryl Davis found a way to smelt metal that was unsmeltable and make it uh, very flexible. So what Daryl Davis would do is he, would, he befriended the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, one of the most famous racist organizations in America. And uh, what was so interesting is the way he befriended them is he would sit with these people as a friend. Even though he was black, he would be willing to do anything for them, to let them ask him anything about him. And he was willing to smile and explain his situation and talk to them as friends. To the point where he would drive a bus full of KKK members to their rally. It would be him, a black guy, imagine this. Driving a bus filled with guys wearing these cloaks and these KKK outfits to a rally. Can you imagine? And just to show you, this is what it takes. This is... If you want to really be the best, like Daryl Davis, in terms of mental flexibility, you have to be super flexible. You have to be so willing to be open and so lovely, and such, with such a big open heart, like Daryl Davis. And eventually, what happened because they were so shocked that what they were standing for, and they this this beautiful dude Daryl Davis was so lovely, and they learned the error of their ways. The more they got to know him, the more they got to know understand people from his culture and community the more they respected him and the more the more they started to see themselves in him because everybody is the same everyone is an animal and you know what we're just different species sometimes we have different hair color, skin color cultures personalities we always have to learn to adapt right we always have to be flexible flexible enough to adjust our perceptions our behaviors and so forth and he taught these people to reforge and smelt the metal in their minds. By being so flexible around these people, he showed them how to do it. And this is why he's one of the men I respect the most in this world that I've met, I I mean that I've heard of. I've never met Daryl Davis. Hopefully I do one day. It'll be a great honor. And uh, eventually, all these men who was part of this Ku Klux Klan, the, the ones that he was working with, surrendered their robes to him. The robes they wear and the rallies. And they retired from the Ku Klux Klan and they gave him their robes. And he goes to like uh, TED Talks with these Ku Klux Klan robes just to show people the importance of communication. The importance of being flexible enough to sit down with someone you don't like and talk. Not in a defensive way, not the way uh, Messi looked at me that day, you know, not with those defensive eyes we give to people when we're, we feel our egos are being attacked and scratched. You know, we always have to have our egos to be a, a thin piece of paper that can slide, but not completely disappeared. We need a little bit of it, but a thin amount. So we don't get hurt and scratched so easily, and our eyes don't turn defensive so quick. And that's the beauty in Daryl Davis, is he, he knows how to manage that internally. And he, he's going to, he's going around the world and teaching people the importance of doing this. The importance of being so Thai-minded, so flexible, so fun, and so beautiful in that way. And I think the problem today, <laughs> this division we have in terms of race, culture, country, whatever, identity, sexuality, all these things that we, we make part of our identity, right? These things that we think define us. Because right now when I go on Instagram, everyone, uh, their bio, is, it's what they should be addressed as. I am addressed as he, she, uh, him, he, all these weird things. Because people really believe that certain people have to respect them to the point where they have to call them this. If I expected everyone to call me Mr. Ape, I'd be a fool to expect that from everyone. Some people are going to call me by my real name, Ramsey. Some people understand why I like to go by Mr. Ape, because they like the idea of humility I'd like to talk about. You know, the idea of being so humble you're an ape and an animal. Vice versa, but I don't go around expecting people to call me a certain way. I don't go around expecting people to treat me in a certain way. I always go around expecting people not to. And, l- and being ready to accept whatever people are going to say towards me. And smile at them. And attempt to be one-tenth as good as Daryl Davis. Attempt to be one-tenth. Not to actually be one-tenth as good as Daryl Davis's level of flexibility. Just attempt to be one-tenth of that. And I think if we all knew how to do what Daryl Davis can do, and be so flexible, and be so willing to sit with people we don't like, and not only sit with people who are in our so-called identity group that we identify with, and only sit with people we agree with, so that when we meet someone we disagree with, we don't even know how to behave and communicate with this person. The more we do this, the more we isolate ourselves in our own comfortable communities, the more we're going to be weaker, the, the stronger the metal is going to be in our minds and the, the less flexible it will become because it hasn't been tested and it hasn't been forged properly, it hasn't been smelted enough it hasn't been folded out enough to eliminate the impurities and the sad part is the more we, we push for diversity uh, forced diversity, the, the more we create division amongst people. The best way to deal with any conflict is to laugh to sit down with the person you're in conflict with and laugh about yourself and each other, and not to be so serious about everything. Because when we are so seriously, so serious-minded, so strong, so unforgeable, so hard, so fixated, opposite of Daryl Davis and Thai mentality, we're assholes, we're narcissists, We, we, we have so many different... It's so easy to develop these negative attributes that we have these negative mental processes that take place that make people call us assholes and that's the reality of it is if we don't know how to be this flexible we're gonna be an asshole we're gonna be a person that not a lot of people like to sit with except for other assholes and we're not gonna be happy being around a bunch of assholes we're just gonna feel more like an asshole because it does not matter what you believe you are doing the cause you believe you are justifying is never as admirable as the, the actions you actually do. Because we all have a certain perception of our minds, right? Let's say I believe I am very, very strong. I believe I'm a truly tough person. I, I believe that I'll be very resilient if somebody ever walked into the bank and I was there, I'd be Superman. I'd take the bank robber down with one punch, take his gun and save the day and everyone would, would hug me and the girl would kiss me and I'd be thrown on a chair and given a parade by the town. Everyone has these visions when they're sitting bored in the classroom, imagining if someone came in here right now, save the day, because that's how bored you are, right? And then you go learn a martial art, or you get into an actual fight with no fighting experience, or you're in the military and you're really being broken down by people whose job are to psychologically trick you into befriending you, these sergeants, and destroy you mentally to figure out what, what your weaknesses are and target that. And eventually, you, you begin to realize with more life experience, with living in different communities and different people and different people you dislike, people you like, learning to get along with people you dislike, because you might end up really liking those people. The more we do that, this, this, then indeed, the stronger we get. And not the, the person we believe. The person we want to be is never the person we are, because we're always aspiring to be someone else, most of us. If you really want to be that person, sit down with yourself with a piece of paper and a pen or whatever you like to write on, and just think, how would this person behave? And then look at you in a very honest and direct way. How are how am I really behaving? How can I be more like this person that I want to be? Maybe I should be nicer. Okay, how can I be nicer? Maybe I'm too arrogant. Maybe I should start admitting something wrong I did to somebody randomly, at least once a day. These little habits, these Addictive processes we create in our brain these positive addictive processes that affect our mentalities in a flexible Daryl Davis Thai style way the metals in our brain get forged that way The more this is how we mend the metal if you want to know how to mend the metal in your mind This is how you do it every time you say that is like one hit with the iron hammer on your broken metals that are shattered Every time you say that sentence to someone, oh, you know what, yesterday, by the way, I lied to you about this small thing. They might look at you and laugh and tell you, why are you telling me this? That's such a silly, white lie you told me. Tell them, you know what, to me it was important. You know, I'm trying to work on my lying. I've been lying too much. I'm trying to reduce that. And this is how you become more flexible. Let's say you're being thrown into a new situation, you have to learn to adapt in. In a new community, Of you're, putting, you're being put in a new school, you have to learn how to make friends. You don't make friends by shying yourself away and doing what's easy, you do what is difficult and what bends the metal in the mind. You go out there and you start being nice to people. Even if someone, the first time someone tests you, you react according to the person you wish to aspire to be. What would that person's values be? Do you want to be the person who punches everyone? Do you want to be the person that befriends everyone? What kind of person do you want to be? How do you react to this incident? How would that person you want to be react to that incident? It's not my job to tell you, you know who you want to be and you can figure that out on your own. But basically, is if you, if you do not bend yourself enough, mend yourself enough, hammer that iron metal in your mind enough, smelt it and then, and then reforge it again and again Until you have a piece of tamahagane, katana blade that you want, that is desired, you will never be the person you wish to be. You will never be the person you think you are. The worst people in this world are the people who think they're the best. From my experience, the the people who believe they are the kindest people in the world, from my experience, are some of the most evil and heinous people I've met. Even though I don't like to call people evil, I always like to say everyone has good and bad sides to them. When When I've really seen something evil and sinister happen in this world, and I've seen it quite a few times, unfortunately, and I hope no one does. But when you see really disgusting things people do to other people in the middle of the street, you you really feel, wow, I'm very thankful not to be that person, but at the same time, I'm very sympathetic to the person who's being a victim to this person in the middle of the street. And I don't know what to say. I just hope I can never be like this person. Or if we have a person that... A lot of people, you know, aren't raised by good parents and are being abused in certain households or not just physically sometimes, sometimes psychologically. All these challenges we have in life, they're not things to to use as an excuse not to get better. Oh, I'm damaged now psychologically, I can't. 50 years ago, even though there was a neglect for mental health, what we neglect today in the modern world is the idea of bending, bending the mind, strengthening it as well. And we, and in terms of facing challenges and allowing ourselves to get past different obstacles. We don't like to do that, we just like to play, oh now because I'm damaged, I can't do that anymore, and I'm going to identify with these damaged people in this category of being damaged. Because, you know what, it's easier to do it that way. And you know what, the mental health doctor gave me my medicine, and he told me it's okay to take all these pills and it's going to make all these problems go away. Let me tell you something, son. It's not the case. It's definitely not the case. The only person who can fix you is you. Sit down with yourself and really, what, what, what are you doing that you don't like? What, what, what metal do you want to become? What mind do you want? What personality do you want to become? Who is the person you imagine yourself to be? Try this experiment where you sit with yourself and write it out. And figure out what you want out of this life. My favorite question to ask a stranger at a party. I'm not a big fan of parties, like uh, big, big gatherings. I like small ones, house parties, you know of where mutual friends meet and stuff but whenever i'm invited to these big big gatherings with strangers because there's a very special person who invited me to this big gathering the first question i like to ask people just to to put them on their toes is what do you want out of life i know some people look at me oh that's such a serious question to me it's fun it lets it it tells me a lot about a person tells me what they're interested about talking tell me i don't want to talk about this it's too serious i know Okay, I'll, talk, I'll ask this person, what's their favorite reality show then, you know? But if they tell me, you know, if we get into it and we start having a really interesting conversation, I really start getting to know this person, we end up having a great time. We end up having a really fun time as well. And that's, it's really beautiful when I do that. And uh, the responses I get from people, sometimes I've asked people this question, they tell me exactly what what they want to do and what they're passionate about. And I just say, the next thing I say is, why don't you do it? They give me some random excuse... And how because of circumstances and money, they don't have enough bananas. You know, they, they need a certain amount of bananas to do things in this jungle. You know what? It's silly. You don't need this many bananas. You can do it with a little bit less bananas. You don't need this much power. You can do it with a little bit less power. There's always a way to get around to it. You don't need to do, go full scale. You can do a little bit every day while you do your main job. Whatever it is you're trying to do, whoever it is you're trying to become, whatever art you're trying to learn, there's a way to do it slowly according to your schedule. Whenever you implement a new habit, a new hobby, you don't do it correctly if you force it and you overdo it in one day. You burn out. You burn out. You do very small incremental additions every day. As as embarrassing as you may feel about being doing such little things, as at least you're being consistent about it. And consistency, just like my favorite one of my favorite words from my me and Mari friend, Sai, would always say, Persistence, persistence, persistence. You know, anyone who has listened to my persistence episode, please feel free to do so. But it's important to be flexible and to be persistent and to be consistent. Flexible, persistent, and consistent. With these three rhymes, let me just say, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something new. And uh, as always, Mr. Rape, signing off. <laughs>